If you want to eat bacon-wrapped shrimp at your next anniversary dinner, be my guest. Just don't, please don't, use Acts 10 to explain why the Bible says it's okay. Doing that takes one of the most important moments in history and just trivializes it. I'll prove it to you in less than 10 minutes. Welcome, Bible nerds. I'm David Jesse. I believe that understanding the Bible in its historic, geographic, religious, and cultural context helps us see Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly day by day. This episode is not about kosher dietary laws, and neither is Acts 10 and 11. Welcome to Bible Nerds Daily. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we're close uh, to wrapping up uh, our look at discipleship in context. Uh, the past couple of weeks have been loaded like a potato from Texas Roadhouse. Uh, make sure you check out every episode and subscribe so you don't miss anything. I know I'm making a lot of food references to start things out. Uh, let me serve you this tasty dish that I've prepared for you today. It was about 10 years since the day of Pentecost in the temple. Uh, Peter had seen thousands of his brethren follow Jesus and become his disciples. Uh, but there was one further step that needed to take place before Peter and the other uh, disciples could actually say that they were fully obeying Jesus' final command that he gave before he ascended. This was the command to go beyond Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. It was the command to go to the Gentiles. Peter knew uh, that this would cause problems. He'd seen the reaction that even those from Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, had uh, when Jesus had mentioned this possibility. Jesus had just finished reading a messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah uh, when he was there in the synagogue, and he declared to those uh, listening um, that this was fulfilled in their hearing. And then it says that the people of Nazareth welcomed this idea that Jesus could be the Messiah. But then the people also appeared to be waiting for something like a sign or a miracle from Jesus. And it was then that Jesus said, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And then you'll tell me, do in your hometown what we have heard you've done in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he commanded, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the right region of Sidon. There were also many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. It's when Jesus talked about the miracles done in what is now Lebanon and Syria that the people turned on him. And they became so angry that they tried to stone Jesus. And these people who were okay with Jesus claiming to have fulfilled messianic prophecy turned completely around when Jesus talked about the possibility of any of his mission having anything to do with the Gentiles. But then Jesus commanded his disciples to go to the Gentiles, and it was time for them to fulfill this command. So God made that clear to Peter in a dream. 
here's Peter's experience in his own words. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. And I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. And right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He'll bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Why Peter? Why was was he the one selected to be the apostle who would be used to confirm that the gospel of Jesus applied to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. Paul, the missionary who later would be the most influential teacher and writer of the first century church, wrote that Peter's mission was specifically to the Jews. He says in Galatians, for God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So again, why Peter? I believe there are two key reasons. First, Peter was with Jesus for his entire earthly ministry and would have known Jesus' clear teachings on this issue. He would have understood that Jesus' compassion reached beyond the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Second, Jesus knew Peter's heart, especially in light of his earlier denial of Jesus and then his subsequent restoration. Peter would never again deny his rabbi or go against his clear commands. So Peter was the only one who could go to the Jewish believers and convince them that the gospel was now going to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that meant it was going not only to the Jews scattered worldwide, but to the Gentiles as well. Peter seems to uh, drift into the background of the story after this. Uh, We do see him at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. uh, But again, his words are only in connection with how the gospel applies to the Gentiles. Uh, We really read no more about any miracles or teachings from him. Um, Peter knows that everything has changed. Uh, He does write some letters, and in one of them seems to indicate that he might have traveled to Babylon, or that could be Rome, and he's using a metaphor there. Um, This isn't surprising if uh, we understand that a large Jewish population continued to live in Babylon even after the return to Jerusalem, um, after the captivity, or he was visiting uh, other Jews in Rome. Uh, Either way, Peter simply continued to minister to those to whom he was sent, and he was content with knowing that he was being faithful to his calling. I like to imagine Peter sitting in his prison cell later in Rome, 
uh, remembering that morning on the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection, when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? And as Nero's soldiers prepared the cross upon which Peter would be crucified just as his rabbi had been, I can see Peter closing his eyes, lifting his face toward heaven and whispering, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. it seems like we're looking at the Bible through the wrong end of a pair of binoculars. Next week, we'll try to turn those lenses around. Please subscribe to the Bible Nerds Show wherever fine podcasts are found. We have Bible Nerds Daily, a 10-minute show that comes out Monday through Friday, and Bible Nerds Weekly, a 15- to 30-minute show uh, where we're going through the most Jewish of the Gospels, Matthew, and its historic, geographic, religious, and cultural context. That one comes out on Sunday mornings. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The Bible is a supernatural book about a supernatural God working in supernatural ways. So if you're not reading it like that, then please take advantage of a book that is featured on our website called Supernatural, What the Bible Teaches About the Unseen World and Why It Matters. It is by Dr. Michael S. Heiser. He's brilliant. Um, He makes me feel smart uh, and um, totally inadequate in my understanding of the Bible all at the same time. But that's cool. Uh, There's a link for it in the show notes. Uh, Like I mentioned, it's available on the website. Check it out. this podcast is an encouragement to you and you want to pay it forward, I want you to check out a ministry that means the world to me. It's called One Child. One Child brings hope to hard places by helping children around the world who are facing extreme poverty. Uh, One Child's Child Champions bring food, medicine, education, and the gospel to children who wouldn't have it otherwise. You can make a one-time donation, a recurring donation, or you can sponsor a child like I do. My family does. We just got a letter from him yesterday, um, which is a highlight for us. Uh, To learn more, there's a link in the show notes. You can check out all the information as well on thebiblenerds.com. To stay up to date on everything going on with The Bible Nerds, as well as all of our content, go to thebiblenerds.com or follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page. We'd love to see you there. King David cut off the corner of Saul's rope. And then a thousand years later, a sick woman grabbed the hem of Jesus's garment. These are actually related, but that's for Monday. For now, go read your Bible.